As Eckhart Tolle said, boredom, anger, sadness, or fear are not yours, not personal. They are conditions of the human mind. They come and go. Nothing that comes and goes is you. Join Sue Jackson every Tuesday at 10 a.m. for Finding Human, a look at the wonder that is the human mind, right here on 101.9 High FM. Hello, this is Sue Jackson on High FM on Finding Human. My guest today is Rabbi Ron Hendler. Um, Rabbi Hendler has his own shield, 51 Northfield Avenue, and he's the Registrar for Orthodox Conversions at the Union of Orthodox Synagogues at the Johannesburg Beth Din. He's also the project, he arranges projects for uh, all around the world, actually, for Chief Rabbi um, uh, Warren Goldstein So he has many skills Under his belt He's shaking his head at me to say that's enough um, Our topic today is What does it mean to be Jewish And who is a convert Rabbi Ron, welcome Thank you, wonderful <laughs> to be here uh, Rabbi Ron was with me a few weeks ago A few months ago actually now uh, We had a program on forgiveness And if any of you would like to listen to that You may look on podcasts under Finding Human We had a lot of response to that And I'm very pleased to welcome you back If you would like to SMS us You may on 34519 Or you can WhatsApp us on 061-895-1019 we have two YouTubes after various adverts, and we've got, and uh, we're ending with a song. Now, once I actually mentioned that we were going to be doing this program, uh, I started getting questions in, and I've sent you some of them, Rabbi. What I would like to um, start with was, where does the term Jew come from? Okay, that's I suppose is a great place to start. Um, biblically. We were known as B'nai Israel, the children of Israel, the children of Yaakov. Um, we refer to as Ivrim. Actually, one of the earliest uh, uh, titles that we have is Avram the Ivri, who is the Hebrew, which is really a combination of um, where he came from and the language that he spoke, which was really a continuation of Aver, one of his ancestors, who, in fact, um, continued the line of the holy language, which existed even before then. So we're known as uh, Israelites, as um, Hebrews, and it is fascinating that you're asking this question today because uh, in just over a week's time, we're going to celebrate Purim and we're going to read the Megillah. And guess what? In the Megillah is the first time that the word Yehudim is actually used. Oh, is that so? Yeah. And Jew and Judah is pretty much the same thing. And it's really from the tribe of Yehuda. So that's really the question. How come, uh, primarily we are known as from the tribe of Yehuda, right? And why Yehudim? So one could really say that before this first temple was destroyed, so there was a scattering of the ten tribes. There were two kingdoms. There was the northern kingdom, and there was the kingdom in Jerusalem, which was the kingdom of Yehuda and Binyamin. And so they were really scattered and lost, and many of them disappeared, maybe never to be found again. And so you had left the primary uh, tribe of Yehuda. So that could be one of the reasons why we became known as the Yehudim. There are other um, reasons as well which go into the name of Judah, um, because it means hapam odet Hashem. That's what he's, that's what the mother of Yehuda, that's what, uh, Leah said. She said, this time I will thank, I will acknowledge the great blessings that I have to Hashem. And this concept of, uh, thanksgiving, giving thanks to God for all of our blessings and miracles every single day, this is one of the primary things that we do as Jews, is we don't allow a day to go past. We try and actually say 100 blessings a day. So that's the idea of Modeh, of Yehuda. So it really goes to our essence as well. So there, there are a number of reasons, and I'm sure there are other reasons as well, which one can find why we are known as uh, Yehudim. But originally, Ivri and Bnei Israel, and which are still relevant as well today. Mm-hmm. That's very fascinating. And Jerusalem has always been seen as our ancestral home. Jerusalem and the land of Israel, it's mm-hmm. uh, our destiny after 2,000 years of wandering, it's probably unique in the history of the world 
that a nation that's completely disappeared or almost completely disappeared from its homeland comes back with such a vigor and such a, a dynamic uh, force that we see today. You know, you mentioned today, um, I w- I've been reading a lot of articles of people, different people um, who have converted. And I know that one of the things that they, you do do in the conversion program, which we will cover so- soon, is actually make the convert aware that we are a persecuted nation. The Jews are a persecuted nation. Um, yes, uh, there is a whole history to that, actually, because... Um, I don't know if you're aware of this. Most people probably aren't aware, but the historians say that in the early years of the Roman Empire, there were a, a huge number of Romans that actually converted to Judaism. And in fact, the Romans were quite worried about it. You know, the, the, yeah, it's, it's not a simple thing. And it's only after Hadrian and his terrible decrees, um, you know, against the Jewish population, you know, which followed the destruction of the Second Temple, uh, that it became sort of unfashionable to convert to Judaism. And in fact, the, um, the Holy Roman Catholic Empire. So basically Rome became a Catholic empire. It took on the religion of the early Christianity. And they actually made it a crime to convert to Judaism. And, uh, that's where there was this tremendous pullback where the rabbis already saw that, um, it wasn't a good thing. And um, I think that's what to convert. To yeah, convert they, they, they felt that with converting to Judaism, uh, it was not good for the Jewish people because the there was a tremendous pressure from the non-Jewish population against it, and uh, also there was this simultaneous proselytizing from the Christian communities. So it almost became like that's what they do, not what we do. We mm. don't like to follow in their ways. But in the early days, you really want to go back to the earliest, earliest days, which is Avram and Sarah. There's a very famous statement from the rabbis that Avram, he went and he converted the men, and Sarah went and converted the woman. And uh, if you think about it, why not? If we believe that our religion is the ultimate truth, why wouldn't we want to convert? But the reality is that for the last couple of thousand years, basically after the destruction of the Second Temple, we have this, as you say, we say it to them, we are persecuted, uh, we are, are downtrodden, and are you aware of that before you uh, come into joining the Jewish people? And, you know, uh, I can't help thinking that today perhaps it's more relevant. Uh, in de- You know, in the last, as as the Holocaust begins to fade from history books and what have you, unfortunately, um, and anti-Semitism is on the rise, it's becoming far more relevant now, but be, in the years since, it uh, people have sort of shrugged it off. You know, of course we'll take it on. You know, it's it's not a big thing. We're not persecuted anymore. But I was reading an article about the Chinese and how, at one stage, they were incredibly recently incredibly attached to Judaism. They felt that there were a lot of similarities. A lot of them were studying uh, uh, Jewish texts. And um, but of course that was also stamped out, and they were not allowed to be seen doing anything like that. So it's not only in the Roman Empire; it's happening today still. Yeah. Well, I mean, something that um, people might be interested to hear is that there's a there's a massive um, awareness of Judaism in Africa. Can we and go back to that in a moment? Yes, certainly. From talk to music, from Johannesburg to Israel, from sport to business, this is 101.9 High FM. Hello, this is Sue Jackson, and my guest today is Rabbi Ron Hendler, and we are talking about um, Jews in Africa at the moment and the conversion of Jews in Africa. We sort of skipped a lot of things to get there, but you've just told me something very fascinating. But go back to what you were saying before about Africa, what's happening in Africa. Well, just as an example, um, quite a few years ago, I get a letter from a young gentleman who came from Nigeria. Now, I know that uh, people have like somewhat cynical views when you hear people coming from Nigeria because, you know, they've got a bad reputation. But there's some really, really fine people that I've met and with amazing stories, actually. And uh, one of these guys arrived with a letter from his rabbi. It had a big blue magain David, and it had a letter of introduction and said, I must please give him every, you know, possible help, etc. Um, and uh, I'm just giving that as an example. But today, like in Uganda, there's a so-called even Orthodox 
uh, Jewish community, which has got a couple of hundred souls. There's a whole mm. amazing history about it. Um, it has been documented. People can read up about it if they're interested. And in fact, what's interesting about Uganda is that there's a conservative and an orthodox community. So this is a proper Jewish community mm. where there's the shul you won't dove it and the shul you will dove it, you know. <laughs> and are they recognized as So as this Jews? is a real point of contention because what they want is to go to Israel. And Israel doesn't recognize because they don't recognize whoever it was who did the conversion. If you think about it, it's quite difficult because they don't really have rabbis there. They don't have a bet then. They don't have access to kosher food. They don't have proper Jewish education. But in spite of that, um, we've met some of these uh, young people from Uganda, and they really, really are um, absolutely amazing. They 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 read Hebrew. They can daven. They can say brochas on food. It really is. It's like a big inspiration, actually. Absolutely. Um, and there, like and there are various other um, all over. I think in uh, Kenya, in Nairobi, there, there there's a group of uh, you know of um, African people who've somehow found their way towards Judaism, um, and so it's be- it is really uh, becoming their version of Judaism as much as they can sort of get hold of. Um, they are really uh, the, the, there is a surprising uh, amount of activity that's going on in Africa. Mm-hmm. Um, we just, just, uh, you might be interested to know, what do we say? You know, what, how, we as the, the Johannesburg or the South African bedding, what is our policy? Our policy is that we can't really take on a whole continent. It's just like, you know, um, geographically and, and, and just from a resource point of view, uh, it's impossible to like really just convert people by remote or bring them in and, and, uh, you know, do a conversion and send them back from where they came with no sense of a proper established community. Um, I, I noticed that was one of the questions that you asked. Well, how important is it to belong to a shul? How important is it to be, you know, part of a community? Um, it is so important, in fact, that if somebody lives in isolation, and there are many, we get uh, like um, applications every single day mm-hmm. from different parts of South Africa, little country towns, little farms, uh, other parts of Africa, all wanting to become Jewish. But the thing is that um, they are completely isolated from an actual Jewish community. And it's so critical to be part of community. You cannot um, really exist in isolation as a Jew, you know, unless you've been put in a, in a Russian concentration camp. But when you're building community and creating it, it's so important that our bet then will not really consider somebody for a conversion unless they are attached and involved with a, a, a proper viable a Jewish community. So to be a Jew is not just the religion. It's actually a total way of life. It's a way of life. It's a way of community. It's joining Klal Israel. It's joining the nation of Israel and becoming absorbed. You know, I saw a beautiful thing once. It's fascinating. It says, you know, how do you take a non-Jew and turn him into a Jew? So technically he accepts the commandments. He goes in the mikvah. They do circumcision if it's a male. Um, but, you know, there's the idea that a drop of milk falls into a pot of meat, right? And mm. if it's one in 60, it's no longer a drop of milk. It's become part of the meat pot. So somebody who comes into the Jewish people becomes absorbed as part of the Jewish people. So in a sense, that uh, like illustrates to us how important it is to have that sense of community mm. because you're becoming absorbed into the the uh, the air, the air that they breathe, mm. the, the the whole atmosphere, the very the whole, essence, the of very it. essence, absolutely, and and that's something that people don't always realize. And I think that's something that converts really appreciate that that absorption when you are absorbed, like by by Judaism, and you realize that you are part of something so much greater than yourself. Yeah. Just um, can we just talk about PE? You told me about Port Elizabeth, though you didn't tell me the story. But I'm intrigued by what you were about to tell me when we. Well, I broke. suppose I suppose PE is part of Africa, yes. but, uh, <laughs> but it's certainly uh, very accessible, and they do have a shul, and they have religious activities there, and they've got minyanim, and they've got even a kosher butchery. They've got a Jewish day school, although there's very few Jewish children left there, but there are Jewish studies in Hebrew available. So they've really got the entire infrastructure um, available. That they need, but it's an um, aging. But it community. is certainly an aging community, and 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 sadly, there are uh, you know a, a fair number.
number of uh, older people who don't survive, you know, it, it is getting to that point. But what is a phenomena? It really, I, I'm absolutely amazed every time I think about it. You, you've got this phenomena that in this, like, um, what used to be a very big and vibrant Jewish community, yes. uh, now, you know, in its sort of uh, ending phase, please God, it should be for many, many years. I wish them lots of broker, but it certainly is the later years w- within the life of that community. And then suddenly out pops this group of amazing uh, people, families actually, who have wanted to convert to Judaism over the last three or four years. And I think if you had to add them all up, you are talking about between 20 and 30 souls. Good heavens. Uh, and, and I think it's closer to 30 if you actually add oh. them all up. It really, and A mixture the, of, and these of, are, you know, these are families and, um, you know, there's young children and there's, there's married couples and there's older and younger and in the middle. And they, in a sense, have, uh, embraced the community there and in turn been embraced by the community. Mm. Um, so they've revived the community. Uh, in, a, in a sense, they give a lot of uh, additional life and, 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 you know, a religious passion to the community. It's an amazing thing because it's very rare that you find such a large concentration in, in such an out of the way place. Were they all connected in some way? Some of them were and some of them weren't. There's, there's really, uh, one of them was a pastor in a, in a, in a church for many years. And so some of his family and friends came with him, but there are many other individuals who, who were totally, um, you know, separate they just uh, it's just a phenomena that somehow providence has brought them all together in this mm. like very pretty little town of port elizabeth and there's a there's a real like semi jewish revival over there it, it's it's really an amazing thing to see i'm i'm absolutely amazed and in fact one of the rabbis of the Bethlehem and myself we're actually going down there in a couple of weeks time not to convert anybody because they're all converted but really just to talk with them and just to uh, you know, share with them and just to give them uh, strength and admiration because that really is uh, a proper phenomenon that's going on over there. How you know? exciting yeah. that really is. I also s- uh, heard that there are quite a lot of Afrikaans people who are becoming converts. Yes. So um, this is something what, that… What sort of phenomenon is that, would you say? Well, um, you know, I remember many years ago, a, a young lady walked into my office and, you know, and I said to her, how are you going to be able to have the discipline to absorb, uh, to observe all of the commandments? You know, there's so many laws and restrictions. She, she says, you don't have to worry. She says, because, you know, I come from the Afrikaans church and they're very strict and there's very demanding and my parents were extremely demanding and strict on me. So I am actually Primed for this kind of thing. <laughs> so it is quite interesting that, 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 that's the way that she saw her background. And in fact, from what I recall, she went on to become a very, uh, sincere and committed Jewess, you know, over the years, mm-hmm. uh, up to this day. This is many, many years ago that I'm, that I'm recording. So in a sense, you know, the, uh, that, that sort of very strict, um, attitude and upbringing is is a kind of a preparation, you know, for the even though you know we have totally different uh, views about many things. It's still the but discipline. that underlying discipline. And in fact, some of our rabbis actually say this is one of the reasons why the Jews went went to Egypt. They learned to be slaves, to be servants, to take orders, to accept, you know, the higher authority, because this is really a preparation for, you know, receiving the Torah to get the ultimate authority from Hashem. We'll get back to that now. The way of Judaism is particular, but the concern of Judaism is universal. Abraham was promised that through you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Isaiah said that we are called on to be God's witnesses. Our message isn't for ourselves alone. How so? Well, we don't seek to convert others. We believe that the righteous of all nations have a share in the world to come. But we do seek to be living examples, reflections of God's light, an inspiration to others to find their own way to God. That, we believe, is the only way of honoring the fact, after Babel, of a world of many cultures and civilizations. God is one, we are many, and we must learn to live together in peace. That's why we don't seek to impose our faith on others. Truth is communicated by influence, not power, by example, not by force or fear. Others have understood this about us. Winston Churchill, for example, said that the 
West owes to the Jews a system of ethics which, even were it entirely separated from the supernatural, would be incomparably the most precious possession of mankind, worth in fact the fruits of all other learning and wisdom put together. At a time when we've witnessed the resurgence of anti-Semitism, the world's oldest hatred, it's important to know that yes, we have enemies, but we also have friends. We have critics. But there are those who, without seeking to become Jewish, have drawn inspiration from Jewish life. We owe it to them, not just to ourselves, to be faithful to our task, to be God's ambassadors on earth. The best part of your day. At the heart of your community. All the talk. All the music. All the news. Hi, FM. Hello, this is Sue Jackson on Finding Human. My guest today is Rabbi Ron Hendler, and we're talking about conversion and being Jewish and... Um, I wanted to just read you this article. If you want to SMS us, you can on 34519 or you can WhatsApp us on 061-895-1019. Sue, just before you read the story, can I just comment about uh, Rabbi Sachs' um, insert? Um, Many years ago, somebody told me the following. He had a client who was from Germany. And he said that this is what the client told him. He says, when I see Jews walking to shul on Shabbos, I know there's a God in the world. Isn't that beautiful? Yeah. So that's being the witnesses. And I say to all the Jews out there, you know, when you're walking on a hot Shabbos day and you're really sweating up that hill to shul, (laughs) you are creating amazing impression in the minds of people around you that you may never realize. Absolutely, and you know the strange thing is that um, my one, one of my machmach tenister uh, was telling me that she was at a, in Pretoria uh, at a doctor's uh, um, rooms, and this woman asked her if she was a foreigner because you know she didn't look like the rest of them in the doctor's rooms, who were all um, Afri- it was an Afrikaans a lot of Afrikaans women in this doctor's rooms. And um, she said, no, she, she's a South African, but she's a Jew. And this woman said, oh, it's an absolute honor to meet you. She hadn't met a Jew before. And she was absolutely amazed to to meet a Jew, which was very interesting. This, I just, I'm picking up on what Rabbi Sachs said about um, you don't need to be Jewish to get into heaven. This this article was written by Tzvi Freeman um, on Chabad.org, and it said, should I convert to Judaism? And it says, I came across your site, and wow, I really want to become Jewish. My mother was a fairly devout Italian Catholic, and my father an Anglican skeptic who never went to church. I was always so confused, but your site has turned me on to Judaism. What's my next step? So this is what he answers. Your next step is to become a better person, develop greater faith in your soul, in your destiny, and in your maker. Do more good, reach out to more people, learn more wisdom, apply whatever you learn, and make life worth living. But you don't need to become Jewish to do any of that. Plenty of wonderful people doing beautiful things in the world are not Jewish, and God is nonetheless pleased with them. And if you're worried about going to heaven, the Jewish belief is that all good people have a share in the world to come, as long as they connect their lives to the oneness of God and keep the seven laws of Noah. And it says, you see, there's Judaism and there's Jewishness, and the two are not the same. He says, Judaism is wisdom for every person on the planet and beyond. We call it the Torah, meaning the teaching. It's a divine message to all human beings, containing the principles that much of humanity has already accepted as absolute truth. What Do you agree with that? So um, I think this is the uh, certainly the commonly accepted uh, position. Um Interestingly enough, I was going to mention the seven Noahide commandments because not everybody realizes them, even though they may be obvious. Some of them are extremely obvious, like not to murder, not to steal, not to worship uh, idols, uh, sexual immorality, which is like a big challenge in the world today, um, not to eat a limb off a living animal, uh, not to curse God, and to have courts of law and to bring people to justice who have 
you know, violated the other commandments. So it's a fairly basic um, laws of civilization. And responsibility. Uh, yes, and, and, and in fact, it doesn't even go as far as the article that you just mentioned about doing good, etc. Um, some people also say that all humans are bound in the obvious laws, for example, honoring parents, because it's so basic and obvious that how can you not do it? It's, it, it defies logic to not honor those who gave you life. So there is that other aspect as well. Um, when I have said exactly this point to many of the people, you know what they say to me? Mm-hmm. They say it is not enough. Uh, they want it's not to enough. Jewish. They want to feel that they can practice that religion or that way of life, which is the ultimate connection to God. Because I've often pointed this out, and they say we are aware of the seven Noahide commandments. We are aware that we don't have to become Jewish to be considered righteous in the eyes of God. Um, but it's not enough for them. They want, they, they have that, that genuine, many of them have that genuine desire. I'm not talking about people who are doing it for convenience because so that's Jews a separate by choice. But a say. genuine, genuine desire to find a way to come, um, closer to God than just doing the basics. They want business class or first class. They don't <laughs> want just economy, you know. <laughs> Mm. That's uh, that's actually because you know what I also read it's it's is by deeds not creeds that the world is judged. The righteous of all nations have a share in the world to come. So you know that it's it's very interesting that how that you're finding that in South Africa today there's actually a, a, a call for conversion, isn't there? Yeah, definitely. And I, and I, and it's it is interesting why there there seems to be such a um, resurgence or just such a phenomenon And it could be It's the power of the internet Because uh, what it does is first of all it makes it much easier For everybody to communicate You know the people who send you Whatsapps and emails and SMSs all day long you can, They can drive you a little bit crazy And then you uh, also They have access To Shirim Tens of thousands of lessons in Shirim around the world in real humans. Mm. One person actually said to me, um, we've just had Rabbi Tats visiting over here. Um, and he said to me uh, a couple of years ago, he said, I'm going to Sinai and Darba because I want to see Rabbi Tats, my Rebbe. So I said, but hold on a second. You come from the middle of Africa. What do you mean Rabbi Tats? He's never been to your country. I think it was Ghana actually. And he said, no, but he says, I've watched hundreds of Shirim on the internet, and he's my Rebbe. Hmm. And he was right. Mm-hmm. You, today, you can have a Rebbe without meeting them. You can listen to their Torah, and you can actually see them, you know, in, in, in color and, and, and listen to the sounds, and you can become connected in a very deep way to a person. Absolutely. I mean, in all the talks, I, I, I spend my life listening to the talks. I love them. You know, Rabbi Sachs's talks, the, the, yeah. the different, many different talks. Yeah, so I, think, so I think this is actually, um, uh, allows people to, to search the world and hear all of the criticisms and the, uh, um, different ways of understanding religion and truth. And uh, then they start thinking very deeply about it, and uh, many of them come to the conclusion, you know, that you've got to go elsewhere, you know, that some of your beliefs may have been false. But uh, and in but in South Africa, I think it's quite it's very interesting that it's across the board of all races that you are getting as converts. Very much so, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, that must be very interesting for you, just seeing people's different way of life. And their, their families connections because becoming Jewish is certainly not just an overnight thing. It's a long process and along the way it can be a very lonely process. Absolutely. And a lot of self searching, self doubt, letting go of things that have been meaningful to you before. And, um, so it must be very fascinating for you to actually watch how different people from different, uh, ethnic groups are actually Handling no, absolutely. We we do have some people who've come from the Lemba tribe, you know. And, oh yes. You know because they really believe that they've got Jewish uh, roots, and I think there it is patri- there is a DNA. Hey. You know, there is a DNA element over there where they say that people from the Lemba tribe have got some kind of a uh, like a connection to the Jewish DNA. 
um, obviously that that doesn't really work from a halachic point of view. But some families from the Lemba tribe have gone through the proper conversion process, and they're fully fledged members of our community, uh, and they're very fine people, very wonderful people. Um, we also have, um, you know, from all different parts of South Africa and, and all different, we have Indian, we have black, we have colored. There are a whole range. I, I just want to say it is an interesting phenomenon. It's, it's quite a sensitive point as well. And that is because obviously the experience that the population has in South Africa, most Jews are white. They're from the European um, tradition. They came from European countries. Yes, absolutely. Mm. And so now what we are are seeing, which is really an interesting phenomenon, is how uh, people who are black are are joining the Jewish people. And even though it may have been more common in other African countries, in South Africa it was really, you know, because of the whole apartheid and the whole separation. They were not allowed to. uh, They weren't allowed to, and and it just wasn't, uh, you know, it it just didn't happen. And and today things are much freer and much more open, and people have access. And it's it's quite a... Um, it's a remarkable thing watching how people from the black community, because remember that what happens to them when they come into a white-dominated um, sort of religious experience is that they become the minority. They become like a very, very small minority. Yeah, yeah. And uh, many of them have actually been embraced by their communities and have become really loved by the, by the certainly in the Johannesburg community where many of them do reside. And now we're finding that a lot of them would like to go and live in Israel. Um, that, by the way, is a fascinating thing as well, is that many, many people uh, who come into the, uh, you know, the conversion process have got this dream about going to live in Israel. I don't think they're converting in order to go and live in Israel, but it's part of their overall dream. Somehow it's, they read the stories of Abraham and Yitzhak and Yaakov and King David and, you know, all of those took place within a, a geographical place known as the, the land of Israel, the mm-hmm. Holy Land. And they want that as part of their, of, as part of the package, you know. And we are seeing it, uh, to a certain extent that, uh, um, our finest converts, you know, who are really, really sincere and who really are a credit to our community, who they give a lot of, um, strength to our community, they want Israel and mm. they are, and they're going to get it, you know, they, they're going there. <laughs> That's amazing. I would like to just go back to actually the first, uh, con- the mother of all converts who was Ruth who said to her mother-in-law, Naomi, that she would follow her and um, her people would be her people. Naomi's people would be her people. What was the actual thing that she said? Uh, Where you go, I will go. Where you die, I will die. Uh, Where you sleep, I will sleep, yes. Yes, and and she is actually the mother of all converts. Now, I see also that it says the sages of Israel actually taught that dearer to God than all the Israelites who stood at Mount Sinai is the convert. Had the Israelites not witnessed the lightning, the thunder, and the trembling mountain, and had they not listened to the sounds of the shofar, they would not have accepted the Torah. But the convert who did not see or hear any of these things surrendered to God and accepted the yoke of heaven. Can anyone be dearer to God than that? Well, actually, if you look in the one blessing in the Amidah, um, which refers to, you know, where we daven for reward for all of the good that people do, and we talk about the tzaddikim and the chassidim and, you know, and the zakanim and the elders, and there it says at the end, it's almost like building up to crescendo, it says geirah hatzedek, the righteous converts. Mm-hmm. So definitely, and um, the, the Torah, as you probably know, Mentions 36 times, I think, the idea of a haftemitagel, that you have to show love and, and special consideration and to not, um, say anything which will, you know, just cause them, uh, hurt or anguish or upset. Because they, you know, when you are coming from the outside, you are very sensitive. Mm. And it's not as, it's, uh, I, I don't think, um, anybody who's within the Jewish community can really appreciate what it is to um, sometimes having to say goodbye to your entire extended family mm-hmm. where they stop talking to you and they'll have nothing to do with mm-hmm. you. You become like uh, totally isolated, totally cut off, and you're still trying to get accepted by the community that you're mm-hmm. coming into. Mm-hmm. And so we do really have a, a tremendous responsibility, you know, to reach out and, and to, to show 
support and love and care for the people who have taken this step. It is a, it is a momentous step for people to take. It, 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 it cannot be underestimated how, how much, um, serious nefesh, how much they're giving of their lives, mm-hmm. you know, to really uh, say goodbye and to throw your lot in with a totally different world. Um, Absolutely. There are many losses, there are many gains. But I think many people do not understand the losses, as you say, that are actually incurred along the way. And they go on happening, you know, that you, you sort of recognize that you, you're going further and further away from your tribe of origin as you yeah. enter this new tribe. Now, why is it uh, that it goes through the mother's line, the conversion? So if a father is a, is a Jew and the wife isn't and the children want to be Jewish, uh, the mother has to actually become Jewish, or the children can convert, but they have to. No, no, hold on. We mustn't confuse two issues over there. The one okay. is that if a child's born to a Jewish mother, then the child is Jewish. Yes. Okay. Okay. So that's an interesting question. Is that the you know um, that's that's. Uh, so if if the child is born to a Jewish father, but not a Jewish uh, yes, mother. Yes. So the child's not. Halachically Jewish, mm-hmm. and then that you'd have to put them through a conversion process. They'd have to go in the mikveh, and uh, through the mother or the or the child. No, the child, the actual mm-hmm. child. The child would have to go. You know, you, you, the mother can't affect the the mother can only affect the religion of the child before the child's born. Oh. In other words, the the status of the mother at the moment of birth determines the religious status from our point of view, the way we see halachically. Uh, so if the mother is Jewish at the moment that the child is born, then the child is, is automatically Jewish. Um, it doesn't matter what the religion of the father is, even if the father is not Jewish. But the identity, the core Jewish identity of a child is when it's born, at that moment of birth. So if a child reaches, say, 10 years old and wants to be Jewish, but the mother doesn't want to convert... Right. What would you do in a situation like that? So um, I suppose we really look at it case by case. You know, is there a chance for the child to really live a religious life? Many people, in a sense, just want that Jewish name. They want the Jewish identity, but they don't want the pain or the responsibility that goes with it. You know, they want the easy way. Um, it's like really like, uh, you, you know, you want to buy a car, but you don't want to uh, pay for the maintenance plan, you know. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's it's a bit facetious to compare to a motor car, you know what I'm saying. But but the idea that they want all of the benefits without the responsibilities. Um, so if you could have a situation where the child will really will live a religious life, and the family, even if it's a non-Jewish mother, would facilitate that, and would make sure that the child grows up as a proper Jewish person. Then they might consider it, but it's very hard. Very, very hard, you, you know, if the if the parents themselves have not committed to that religious way of life. Absolutely. So generally, they would say, you know, we don't want to discourage the child from becoming Jewish, but we would just delay it until the child is maybe a little bit older, okay. uh, and then we would try to facilitate that at a later stage. I'll go back to that shortly, actually. We're just going to be breaking from advert. And then there's also another very short YouTube. The end of Moses' life, after giving the Jewish people 612 commandments on God's request, Moses gives the Jewish people the final command, 613. What's the final command? It's a command that expresses how all of the Torah, how all of the traditions should be lived. The command is, and now God tells Moses, write down the Torah, write down the song, this song, and give it to the Jewish people. And the, our tradition, the commentaries say, what is this song, Hashira Hazais? It refers to all of the Torah. The last command is to write the, down the entire Torah, transcribe it, but it refers to the Torah as a song, a melody. Why is the Torah called a melody? Is the Constitution called a melody? It's called a melody because every mitzvah, every command in the Torah is meant to infuse life with joy, with passion, with enthusiasm. Every mitzvah ought to bring that joy into one's life. So it's called a melody, it's called a song. All of it is hashira hazais, this melody. 
when you have different composers, different musicians singing the same melody, it sounds different because even though they're using the same notes, but each of them infuses their own flavor and their own heart into the melody, so it takes on a different flavor, a different tonality. And that is true of mitzvot and the commands in the Torah as well. Although the commands are the same, but everybody brings to it their own personality and their own life experience so that it's a song, but we sing in harmony. It's different, but it's the same. In fact, in a way, we can never repeat the same mitzvah again. We don't do the same mitzvah twice. Because say I do, uh, I light Shabbat candles one Friday. The next Friday, when I do that same mitzvah again, I'm not repeating the same mitzvah because it's a different person. It's with a whole week of different experience. So every time I go to do one of the commands, I'm bringing a different experience into that mitzvah, powering that experience, that song, that melody. Another aspect of the melody analogy is that when one reads a book, even if it's a good book, normally the average person only can read a good detective story once, twice, three times. After a while, it becomes boring. You know the plot. A song melody is the opposite. Often the, our best songs, the songs that touch us in the deepest way, are the ones we hear over and over again. The melody, the more you hear it, the more you like it. So that is Torah itself. That is the mitzvah. The more we study, the more we do, the deeper it resonates, the more we are in love with it. It's a melody. And in fact, in Jewish life, we do everything with a melody. We don't uh, pray. We pray with a uh, tune. Every prayer has its own tune. We don't study, we don't read the Torah text. We read it with a melody. We don't study the Talmud, we chant it. Jews don't uh, complain. We fetch with a special uh, Jewish melody. But Jewish life is meant to be a song in terms of the unity it brings, the joy it infuses. If somebody is talking, and another fellow comes and begins to talk, it's called an interruption. But if you're singing and somebody else sings with you, it's called harmony. It makes it beautiful. So that if Jewish life is lived as Hashira Hazais, as a melody, if I'm engaged with the text and the joys, commands of the tradition, but it's without an ego, it's a melody, then the people around me enhance that. It's not an interruption. It's a melody. And that's the way it's meant to be. It's meant to be. Hashira Hazais, a melody that brings unity, love, light, and joy. God is the ultimate choir leader. We are part of a divine, awesome symphony, and everybody has their beautiful notes to play. No note could be missing. If one note's missing, the, the symphony is off for part of an awesome symphony. And let us all sing our note, Hashira Hazais, with joy. Stay relevant and up to date. Keep informed. This is 101.9 High FM. Hello, this is Sue Jackson on Finding Human. My guest today is Rabbi Ron Hendler. The time is going very quickly. Um, he, Rabbi Hendler is the registrar of um, Orthodox Conversions at the Union of Jewish um, Synagogues and the Beth Din, the Johannesburg Beth Din. That uh, YouTube that you've just heard, to me, that melody, the making up of the choir, um, all the different voices that come in to make up a choir is very much what converts actually bring into a community. That you get this mixture of people, and they say if one if one note is is missing, there's there's a, a big difference in the actual song eventually. And that that well, actually, you mentioned root earlier on. And um, we have this understanding that root from root comes root King David, is Ruth. and mm-hmm. uh, Ruth, and then comes uh, a couple of generations later. Her descendant is King David, and from King David ultimately will come the Mashiach. And the Maral and various other writers point out that you needed that infusion that came from outside, from root, in order to be able to produce the Mashiach. So it was that really other the, note that came yes, into the exactly. symphony. So, but I'm saying that's how important and profound it is that we're talking about literally that the world cannot realize its ultimate destiny in the messianic period until you brought in 
the flavors that came via Rut, you know, who came from the tribe of mm. Moab. And really, Moab in many ways was a hated tribe because of, you know, their, their wrongdoing that they did many years earlier. But there was also a very special part of them which was embodied in Rut. Well, that's, that's very interesting. And you have a, a hard job to play, a hard role in your life because you are either disliked or loved and liked. It depends on what sort of conversion you're going through. And this is a very tricky subject because I know that sometimes you have to turn away people who have converted through other ways apart from Orthodox. Do you want to just mention that? Well, I think um, we, first of all, we don't want to turn away anybody, but we, at the same time, we do want to have a sense that there is sincerity and that there is a sense that, um, they will stick to what they have committed to because otherwise it becomes a farce. And many people accuse the bit and they say, you know, you accept this person, you accept that person. We work very, very hard to try and see that there is a genuine level of sincerity amongst the people. And, um, you know, we can, we cannot always, uh, um, predict what's going to happen in the future. It's not possible. You know, we're not prophets, but, um, we do see, um, a large number of people that have come to us, which I, I just feel it's worth mentioning. Again, it is a sensitive subject, but you find that, um, a person will walk in, in their twenties or their thirties and uh, will say, why are you here? No, I want to, Convert to Judaism, but I am Jewish already. Why are you Jewish already? Well, my father's Jewish and my mother was a reform convert. And that's a very common thing in South Africa because reform is fairly painless, doesn't take much, uh, commitment and, and doesn't really require much religious, uh, um, commitment. You know, you can really just do the minimal amount. And this is what I've been told by many people. You, you can choose if you want to become kosher. You can choose if you want to pray. It's really a, uh, once you, within the fold, you can choose whatever you want and, and it's, it's really like a, you know, pick and pray kind of a thing, if we could use such an expression. And, but the pr- problem is that when the children grow up, they are then excluded from the Orthodox community. Mm-hmm. And when they try and marry somebody or, uh, even to be, to be part of a minion, um, then you find that there's tremendous, um, sense of rejection and pain. That they are experiencing They believe they're Jewish Emotionally they certainly are They've grown up with Jews their whole life And yet somehow they have been excluded Very hard And it's it's it's, trem- it's very difficult And and then in a sense we are uh, Almost like the hated The, the hated authority That says you know uh, Because of you I'm not uh, you know accepted mm. But really you have to look at the roots of it and, and see how the whole thing started And I would really Really encourage people To think very deeply and carefully About your, the future for your children You know even if you don't feel that Religiously inclined But your your actions now in 15, 20 years down the line are going to have tremendous, tremendous implications for your children. And um, I've seen it over and over again. A lot of pain, a lot of hurt, and a lot of avoidable, um, you know, um, uh, 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 suffering that that people have gone through. We're just breaking for another advert. A frequency like no other. 101.9 High FM. We, we ended just before then on quite a, a difficult note, but you know, you can contact Rabbi Ron at the Union of Orthodox Synagogues, uh, to find out anything if you would like to discuss conversion with him. There, you know, I just wanted to touch on before we end the, the fact that it's a matri- matrilineal religion, that it goes through the mother. Uh, at one stage it did actually go through the father. There was a, Abraham and at that stage what changed why did it change um well i think that uh, you've got uh, before the torah was given and after the torah was given and uh you know once the torah was given it almost like it was like repro- reprogramming the whole system even for example the seven noahide commandments that existed that abraham for example would have been obliged to do um, it was a whole different package now that the Torah was given. And uh, it was almost like going into like another level of, of religious 
uh, commitment and and a deep a deepening of the relationship between Hashem and the Jewish people. So you might say, okay, so fine. So now this is the sort of the ultimate ideal, the 630 commandments. This is the sort of the, the, you know, it's the, the highest level. This is what the world was waiting for. This is how the Jewish people uh, are going to, um, as Rabbi Sachs said, uh, Im- impact on the world through their um, living out these commandments. So why at that moment is almost like the ideal state to use the mother as the definition of, of whose religion? And uh, very simple reasons, actually. First of all, um, how do you identify the child? It's much easier to identify the child through, through the, the one it's born to mm-hmm. than uh, through that the father. Makes, that makes right? sense. That's a very, very simple, practical thing. Mm. But secondly, there's something I think even more profound, and that is that this little baby gestated there for nine months Absorbed the emotions, absorbed through the blood, absorbed. You know, they say that even if the mother is sort of uh, struggling with anxiety, it sort of impacts very profoundly on on the the inner workings of that child. And so, a lot of the way that the child is born will be impacted through its having lived the first critical nine months of its life within the mother. And and so it makes a lot of sense that the mother, in a way, has given much more basic, fundamental existence to the child, even though it's true that the uh, child's yichus in terms of like a kohen or a levi, etc., will be according to the father, but the basic identity uh, is where it spent the first nine months in absorbing whatever the mother had to give on every level, on a nutritional level, on a psychological level, on a spiritual level, all flowing down into that child and literally giving it life every second of the day. How can one argue on such a point? Absolutely. You know? That's actually so beautiful. Th- that's really what it is. You know, we haven't touched on what uh, goes into conversion, and there's a lot. So that we're going to have to do that. I'm sure we'll get questions about that after the program. Um, what would you, we're going to have to end, what would you like to end by saying? Well, you know what I'd like to say. I have been, over the last 20 years or so, um, privileged, I would say, to be involved in this work. And it's because you see people coming in to the office who, a couple of years down the line, they take on Judaism with a passion and with a desire and many, many times I have been humbled by the, by the sincerity and the commitment that, um, these Jewish people, th- these converts have done as they are coming into the Jewish people. And, uh, it's a, actually a privilege to see them and to see how they have turned themselves upside down to, to really commit themselves to serving God with the, the entire being. And all I can say is that, um, it is, in many ways, it's an honor and a privilege, and I salute all of the remarkable converts that we have in the South African Jewish community. Amen to that, and welcome aboard, and we're very glad that you're with us. And um, not that goes for you, Rabbi Hendler, but that goes for all our converts and as well. And to all the other people out there, many blessings, and just remember that you are all equal in the eyes of Hashem. Thank you.